If you have awareness and you have this ability to regulate you know, mood states and thinking, you have this mental agility, and then you have this ability to cultivate character um, and, and then connect deeply, you really have this life filled with this positive optimism, hopefulness that's incredible. It's really incredible. That, in a nutshell, is resilience. I would want everybody to have that kind of intelligence in their life and apply to every aspect of their life, whether it be health or eating or sleeping or relationships or career or being an elite athlete or you know being a, a cameraman you know, at a high school game. Uh, it, it, it doesn't really matter. It, it, they, the resilience is what's going to give you that freedom, that real joy in life, that fulfillment that we're all looking for. This is episode number 101 with Dr. Joe Janis. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. A very warm welcome back to Pursuing Health. I'm really excited about the guest on this episode. He is someone who is very special to me and played a key role in my own mental preparation for the CrossFit Games during the last couple of seasons of my career. That guest's name is Dr. Joe Janis, and he is a psychotherapist specializing in work with high performers. He's an associate staff and director of the outpatient executive and professional program at the Cleveland Clinic. A little bit more about Dr. Janice's background. He completed his undergraduate work at The Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. He received his PhD from Kent State University in Ohio. His training includes couples and group therapy, performance enhancement and sports psychology, executive coaching, and management and organizational consulting. Speaking of consulting, Dr. Janice consults with a wide range of clients in the medical, legal, financial, sports, and entertainment fields. He's been a consultant to the NFL for the past 20 years, and he was a key player in the first NFL Players Assistance Program, the Cleveland Browns Inner Circle Program. I first met Dr. Janice a number of years ago when he taught one of my medical school classes, and over the course of the past several years, he has gone on to help me navigate some challenging times, balancing medical school with CrossFit training, as well as preparing me to access my peak mental state during my competitive CrossFit Games career. So in this episode, I'm very excited to sit down with Dr. Janice and we discuss everything from his background, some of the most common obstacles that he observes among high performers, and several strategies for building mental resilience, which I still use personally on a regular basis. So I think you'll really enjoy the conversation. Before we get started, a few quick reminders as usual. First, this episode is produced by CrossFit Beyond the Whiteboard, which is the best workout tracking in the biz and the one I've been using since 2009. You can learn more about them at beyondthewhiteboard.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and consider giving it a rating. It really does make a difference and helps get this content out to more listeners. I'm also always looking for inspiring stories to share. So if you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send your story to me at info at juliefouché.com and I'll select some to share here on future episodes. Finally, please remember that although I am now officially a doctor, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and does not provide medical advice. So with that, we'll get started with episode 101 of Pursuing Health featuring Dr. Joe Janice. excited to be sitting down here with Dr. Joe Janice, and it's good to be back here and connecting with you again. It's been a few years, um, but I'm really excited for you to share some of your experience and expertise with our audience because I think that they're going to learn a lot. Julie, it's a treat to be be here again. I, it's my privilege, and I'm really looking forward to this time together. Uh, it's it's really a delight, and I'm more than happy to share some of my experience with uh, my patient population, the athletes I've treated over the years, and you know I'm I'm an open book today. I really am. Awesome! I'm yeah. excited. Well, let's just start at the beginning about what exactly drew you to a career in psychology. Um, 
from the beginning and then maybe some of the things that you really enjoy about it now that you weren't anticipating at that time? You know, early on after my uh, undergraduate degree in psychology, I went into the field of criminal justice. Oh, okay. And actually I was uh, on a special narcotics task force and uh, began to investigate uh, crimes uh, that were related to drug and alcohol issues. Hmm. And uh, I was fascinated with it, but I, I wasn't really that hip on carrying a gun and, uh, you know, being in the streets. And mm-hmm. I was fascinated with, well, what happened to these folks who ended up in prison due to drug, alcohol, violent kind of crimes? And I subsequently entered into the field of rehab counseling psychology, where we began to look at people with disabilities, much like uh, the criminal population, people with um, uh you know, visually impaired, the deaf, I began to wonder, how did these people get from, you know, a disabled position, uh, drug addiction, for example, and then move into uh, recovery? How, How do you do that? And as I got into that, I went into a master's at Kent in rehab counseling with an emphasis in, you know, rehab psychology, and began to realize that once you get a person whether they are ex-military and they lost a limb uh, or somebody who was in a car accident and was, uh, you know, uh, spinal cord injured or lost their sight, one of the goals of the whole rehab philosophy was not just, you know, helping them adjust to their limitation, but to take them to the highest level of functioning they could get to given their disability. That really excited me. And from there, I went. I continued on to the rehab counseling field at Kent, got a Ph.D. with, again, emphasizing in psychology, and then came out and had an opportunity at Cleveland Metro to begin to work in a research on, you know, alcoholic offenders. And I got really intrigued with this whole rehab process, and it really opened up doors to me about not just treating a pathological disabled state, but how to take and create an opportunity for these patients, these individuals with these limitations to function at the highest level. So I became very intrigued with high performance given limitations. And subsequently after that, I came to the Cleveland Clinic and very quickly I was very interested in beginning to treat individuals who were talented but had their disability. And some disability could be depression. It could be a drug problem. It could be high anxiety and, you know, uh, panic. Um, And as a result of that, it brought me into uh, the arena I really wanted to be in, which was treating highly talented, highly competitive Um, highly engaged individuals who wanted to be champions in their own kind of way. It could be a healthcare provider. It could be an attorney. Um, And then shortly when I came here, we were the first at the Cleveland Clinic to take on and began to treat NFL ballplayers. And we created the first NFL, uh, you know, the inner circle program was probably the first comprehensive program for athletes with disabilities. So they could be uh, sidelined with an injury and as a result depressed. Uh, They could have uh, relationship issues. They could be struggling with traumatic issues in childhood that no no one ever diagnosed and it began to affect their play on the field, uh, their ability to concentrate and focus. uh, And then the use of medication and drugs. We really dealt with the whole gamut of things, and uh, I then took off from there and began treating, you know, basically people who were very talented, who wanted to be high performance, yet had a disability, and everything is history from that point on. That's amazing, and I love the, you know, the outlook of how can we help someone be at their best, because I think that's something that I you know, when I, now that I have this interest in functional medicine, that sort of the goal is looking at how do we make this person the healthiest they can be. When often in traditional medicine, it's not set up that way. It's set up to say, what is a disease diagnosis and how do we treat it? And as long as you're doing okay, you're, you know, your numbers are average, you know, you're doing all right. And so I love that approach of, you know, we, we want to help people be healthy and not sick, but we we can make people 
to be their very best. And that's really rewarding. Absolutely. And, and when you look at this, if you look at somebody who's really struggling with health, whether it be physical health or mental health, and then you treat them, we can bring them and we can reduce some symptoms and give them some medication, or we can take a very holistic look at this and say, how can we take this individual and allow them to get well in a comprehensive kind of way? And we know, we know within the science of the brain and the body, these two are tremendously connected. And it's hard for a physician or a healthcare provider like myself to ignore, just handle the cognition or the problem solving with the behavioral change without looking at the person's health, the way they eat, the way they exercise, how they're sleeping. And so this comprehensive wellness functional medicine model is something close to my heart and is the way I practice. I just don't practice in terms of, you know, this person in, in isolation, I build a team. That was what the inner circle was about. We had the, you know, the team physician involved and the orthopedic and the trainer and the spiritual counselor and we had the nutrition. We had the entire team to really focus in comprehensively on the entire person, which allowed them to truly become, for the first time probably in their life, a champion on all fronts. And uh, that is at the heart of my practice and what I'm really excited about. And I know you are too. And that's why we're talking here definitely, today. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It makes me think of, there's a sort of a saying I've heard in, in functional medicine about, you know, depression isn't an SSRI deficiency. There's usually multiple other underlying things that are going on that need to be addressed besides just a medication. So I love it. Um, so you mentioned a lot of the different patient populations that you work with, high performers, whether they're physicians or pro athletes, um, couples. Uh, what are some of the common themes that you see, no matter you know what reason it is that brings someone into your office? Um, what are some of the commonalities that you see that eventually result in um, problems that bring people to see you? Oftentimes, oftentimes people who I see, oh, you know, in general, they have a, all have a common theme, and that is they've lost their balance. They are attempting to become very successful in their area, whether it be an athlete or an attorney or a physician. And at the same time, they want to be very successful in their relationship with their partner. Um, they want to be very successful in their parenting. And what we found is that time is of the essence, and as a result, uh, the ability to take care of the body, to exercise, or to eat the kind of meals that they need to instead of fast foods, we find that this balance has caused them to basically become physically and mentally and emotionally unbalanced or unsteady or dysregulated. And as a result, a lot of what I, I do in working with individuals or couples is when one person gets out of balance, their thinking and their communication becomes out of balance. So, you know, we talked uh, a bit about, uh, you know, Dr. Dan Siegel's comment on uh, mindsight, the developing what the Buddhist psychologists call the third eye, is that many people are blind to that and they're running around trying to accomplish all these things and as a result lack the kind of focus, deliberate focus on kind of assessing where am I at today? and I'm a little out of balance, and as a result, this third eye, which is interesting, it forms a triangle with the eyes in here, and geometrically, the triangle is the strongest geometric form that we know. And so the whole meaning behind the third eye is creating this balance, the solid base, with strength. And so what happens with most of us, we have an inverted triangle. The eyes are watching, the mouth is moving, and what's happening? Uh, we're out of balance all the time. So we need to flip that, and to do that is we have to have time to kind of reflect on what's going on in my life. And so one of the things we do in psychotherapy, whether it be group, individual, or couples, is it gives us time to reflect on how to invert that triangle and begin to develop this mindset of what we can do to reestablish the balance, the wellness, and the kind of commitment that is required to do that. 
And as a result, many begin to communicate differently with one another or with themselves. They begin to take time out, start exercising, eating well again. They start sleeping better. And as a result, that mood becomes regulated. So one of the things with mind sight is the awareness that this triangle has needs to be flipped and at one time it may have never been flipped it may have always been I've been blind to this and I've been reacting all my life and so with the awareness and we call this you know basically cognitive awareness uh, people come in and say oh okay then the next question is how do you do that yeah how do you really That's do the that hard part <laughs> and that is the hard part and so some of the things uh, I'll do with my athletes with other people is I introduce them to the notion of mindfulness training and at the heart of mindfulness training, people think, well, you sit there and you, you don't think of anything. You know, none of us can do that. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've been meditating since 1995 and I still have thoughts. But the yeah. aim of Vipassana meditation or mindfulness meditation is not to not think. It's begin to settle in in the moment and focus on the moment and catch yourself not being focused and being distracted and then noticing that and then when you do notice that you're creating this awareness and you bring yourself back to your breathing so the constant noticing that I'm off track is developing this awareness so one of the key things to mindfulness is this really promotion of awareness and awareness then allows me to develop this mindset to regulate mood for example hey, I just noticed I'm a little more anxious. Well, what happens with people who don't notice, instead of just feeling anxious, they become anxiety-ridden. Instead of feeling depressed and then say, oh, I'm feeling depressed, let me bring myself back and be relaxed, I now become a depressive because what I'm doing is I'm now believing and reacting all the time to the fact that I'm an anxious person and I start becoming that. Instead of realizing that we all get anxious and we all get depressed, but it's just a feeling. And so what it ha allows us to do, this third eye, is create this ability to regulate mood thought processes with this mental agility. I now see that I'm worrying, but it's just momentarily. I don't have to hold on to it and have to be that way. Where many people come in, they've told themselves stories about themselves. Uh, let's say a, an elite athlete that I'm never, ever going to be good enough. Well, are they going to ever become good enough if they really believe that, if that's what their, you know, the third eye is saying? Well, the third eye isn't saying that. It's their belief and not having that third eye to really kind of say, hey, this isn't true. And if I do believe this, they'll never become an elite athlete. And if I believe I'm in a relationship with you and I think we're not good communicators, we're never going to be that satisfied with one another. So what happens with mind sight is we start reacting less and become more thoughtful. And that way we can start engaging this prefrontal cortex, which is executive functioning. I know I'm an excellent communicator. I know that you're an excellent communicator. What do you think starts happening? We're more balanced. Again, we begin to see mood lifts. And as a result, with this awareness and this ability to regulate comes from this cognitive versatility, this ability to be agile mentally, where people with the third eye get locked in. They believe one thing, they tell themselves one thing, and they become inflexible and stubborn and unwilling. And as a result, the only way forward is left with this depression or this sad relationship or, uh, you know, an unhappy career, that sort of thing. What are, aside from mindfulness, are there any other ways to start to bring that awareness to someone who is really locked into these beliefs that maybe, you know, they don't even realize are not right. true? Yeah. One way I use continually, again, uh, this is something that uh, Dr. Dan Siegel has talked about, and uh, I tell people that there, we have two brains. We have a no brain and a yes brain. Okay, Most of us growing up, we heard no, 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 no. And by the time we're 18, this is well documented, most of our cognition 
is built around this no brain. Some of it is driven by DNA, survival of the fittest. So we have to be leery, we have to be worry, we have to be adaptive in a way that the world uh, is. It could be unsafe, and you know, I want to be part of a, a tribe and a community that likes me and values me and admires me. Uh, so part of the no brain is that worry that's going on. We call it a worry brain too. But what happens to most people? that they don't have a third eye and assess how much of their brain is in this no-brain area is that they never stop. And 95% of what they do in life is about this no-brain. No, I can't do this. No, you can't do this. No, that that's not right. And so it tends to be this reactionary kind of mindset where I then start introducing the yes brain. What does the yes brain look like? Did you know that there's a culture in the world that only tries to focus on yes all the time. Hmm. That's Japanese culture. Oh. Uh, they try to say, even though they want to say no to you, they come up with a way authentically and sincerely on how to say yes. Now, am I saying that you have to give up no all the time? No. I'm looking for the balance. I'm looking for the balance. I want my feet on the ground and realize sometimes we need a no for survival and for other reasons. I'm, and worry is sometimes productive. Fear is sometimes very motivational, uh, especially with an elite athlete. But um, we also need to develop this ability to say yes. And what does it mean to say yes? Yes means I'm becoming more self-aware. Yes means I want this mindset to regulate mood and realize that it's not depression. For example, many people come and say, Doc, I'm frightened all the time. And I say, well, uh, the no brain says you're really a scared person. What does a yes brain say? And people say, well, I don't know what the yes brain is. <laughs> How can you say yes to fear? <laughs> and I say to them, well, let's look at the word fear. Fear is translated into a reverence, a respect for. So you ever think about the fear that you're having is that something is very high stakes now, a competition that's coming up, and you have this real, real commitment to win. Uh, why wouldn't you feel frightened? Because you have this, it's a high stakes game for you. You have this respect. You're really embroiled in this. This is your life. And that's the sign of a champion. They want to win. Okay? So that's part of this. Oh, and they begin to look at it in a very different kind of way, a yes way, a yes way. And this is where this cognitive mental agility comes into play. We can't just be agile in our bodies. We have to be agile in the way we think about, you know, the neg negative or no brain and the yes brain. I have to be able to move back and forth. But many of us have very little understanding of the yes brain. I tell some of my parents, um, how often do you say no to your kids? A lot. I said, what if you were to go to the yes brain and try to tell them yes? And they say, what are you supposed to tell a four-year-old that they <laughs> want a piece of candy? And you say, no. You can say, yes, you can have candy after dinner. <laughs> and, and they begin to say, maybe this is a real possibility here. So that's another way, is really cultivating this ability to monitor the mind and balance out the no brain and the yes brain and cultivate other kind of skill sets. So, for example, the yes brain, for example, and this is one thing I really love about the CrossFit community, is if you kind of go into a gym or you meet some people, you'll find that they're really into the yes brain. You, you, it doesn't matter what age, you can go into a CrossFit gym and they will put a program together. Yes, we can do this for you. They don't say, no, you're too old, you're not flexible, you're not strong enough. They will start you in order to make you a champion in your own way. They say yes to it. And people know that. That's why they want to continue. So a yes brain builds connections, powerful, powerful connections. It builds community. And if you look at, you know, I, I was an amateur boxer and I wrestled and I, I play other kinds of sports uh, growing up, uh, yet I never really felt the camaraderie ship, maybe baseball I did, that I see in the CrossFit gyms, okay? There's really a connection there and, and that sort of thing. And that's because I really believe there's a mindset in this community that says yes. They know how to say yes to one another.
okay, and build one another in very positive ways. Um, so that's another thing I see is that when I'm building this yes mentality, this mindset, my relationships become more connected in a healthy kind of way. I feel a sense of community, both at work and, you know, uh, with my patient population, my colleagues, my family, these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, like you mentioned, I think we see in the CrossFit community, but maybe is more rare in our kind of average everyday, busy, go, 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 isolated sort of lifestyles. And I was just wondering if over the course of your career, if you've seen any changes or the impact of any changes in our culture, like with now with a lot more technology or other changes in culture that have influenced mental health in general. It's maybe a tough question. (laughs) No, I I think there's a lot of... um prototypes that are just exceptional. I think um, if you look at the self-help group movement, whether it be Alcoholics Anonymous, Food Anonymous, Gambling Anonymous, there's plenty anonymous. What you're attempting to do in those meetings is deal with a disabling condition, the ravages of drug addiction in our opioid uh, opioid epidemic, or the family members that have to suffer through that. They go to Al-Anon. They're searching for a way to really cope uh, with a lot of suffering, a lot of pain that provokes anxiety, worry, fear. It makes them sick both on both sides. And so how do you then promote wellness? And I believe that, you know, the, the rehab facilities, I think all, you know, the detox, the medical kinds of sports is, is exquisite. I think we're much better. But I think what's even better is the community people find in these meetings. They find their people, okay? And their people understand them. And it's at that moment in time they have a shot at wellness, of healing, of now really developing that life that is fully functioning at a brand new level. I think one of the things that's been a hot topic is physician burnout. And, you know, I've been at the clinic uh, 37 years now. um, And is there less collegiality? Is there less uh, opportunity for community? And I would argue that, yeah, we're all busier, but it really is up to this third eye. If I have not spent the time to develop this third eye, my no brain is going to be saying, I'm overworked, I'm this, and I'm I'm not saying some of that isn't true, but it's going to lead you to this unwell place. You're going to burn out versus thriving comes from, you know, we are a lot busier, but it's allowed me to kind of champion new ways of getting organized and getting efficient and working with my patients in satisfying kind of ways. It's really stepped up my game and I'm really excited. I'm discovering talents I never knew. I'm really excited about this. Turning that story (laughs) into a positive one. Exactly. Exactly. So And I'm not saying that we shouldn't attend to the worry because sometimes certain things happen that we need to modulate, regulate, confront. Uh, But I'm also saying we need to bring the sophistication of the yes brain in to integrate that. and That creates the mindset, that triangle that's strong and fundamentally sound, keeps me balanced. And I'm responsible for that. But as a colleague, I'm responsible that, you know, to kind of encourage that along in my environment, not only for my patients, but for my colleagues and staff, things like that. Absolutely. I want to go back for just a second when you were talking about balance and when you work with patients, a lot of times there's something that's off balance. Um, So sort of two questions. One being, what are, as you're doing that kind of inventory, what are the different areas in someone's life that you look at to make sure that they're in balance? Um, And then as a follow-up question, do you think there's any difference in someone who is very Um, focused on a singular goal. Maybe they're a professional athlete um, or they really want to just focus on being the very best in their career um, versus someone who wants to have multiple, you know, success in multiple arenas. Do you think there's, people can still thrive by putting their energy into one of those buckets over the others? Is that possible? Or is balance really important for success in any way? Uh, your first question is, within our center, we've always 
really focused in on the total person. So we're looking at family of origin. We're looking at support system. We're looking at academic, you know, cognitive develop development. We're looking at a medical history. We have any history of trauma. We have any history of head trauma, concussions, things like that. Any history of ADD and school, these types of things. What is the uh, spiritual development? What's the psychosocial and sexual development of the person? We're really getting an idea of where this person resides and where they have come from. And then we began to kind of identify areas that maybe um, have been undermined or haven't been developed, much like this third eye or this mind sight. Uh, and we begin to then develop a comprehensive plan. So if we take the disability of addiction, for example, the first thing we do is to physically get the person well. Because we know that you know, alcohol or drugs are really passed through the liver and then it moves throughout the system. If we have a sick liver, we have really a sick body and a sick brain. And we know this now through PET scans and, you know, through, through MRIs and CAT scans and on and on and on that the brain takes time to heal. So really to help the person find balance or to recover, physically they have to recover. And we really believe it takes six months to a year to do this. Wow. Okay? Mm -hmm. So... You'll see me in my practice with, uh, with patients that I'll see them for a long period of time. I always go back to the body, okay? One of the things I'm seeing, and even in the elite athlete arena, is the evidence of a plant-based diet in terms of dealing with anxiety, mood, um, a more robust uh, cardiovascular system, on and on and on. And I, I become more and more committed to really encouraging diet, encouraging them to see their nutrition, to pick up brand new ways of taking care of their health, in addition to the exercise and the sleep. Those are the big ones. Um, I, but I would say that, you know, a comprehensive plan really begins with the health, and then we move into, you know, what we call cognitive behavioral. We're looking at behaviors that might be self-destructive or ones that are problematic or the lack of a third eye, for example, and really help them develop uh, this sense of, uh, you know, reflection in themselves and to study themselves and to deconstruct some of their beliefs, assumptions that have remained hidden for many years that are counterproductive. And by doing that in an environment with a lot of respect and no judgment, um, they tend to th really flourish. I think what happens with the doctor or the, you know, the clinician psychotherapist, I, I think that all the interventions, all the evaluations uh, that we do that are very comprehensive is one part of it. But I think if we cannot be present with one another and develop that trust, that bedside manner, that therapeutic alliance, much like a coach with somebody, um, you never really gain the kind of confidence or success or the ability to influence somebody. I was reading some articles and talking to a group of execs and said, how much do you think myself as a doctor really influences you? And everybody says, oh, 50% in terms of change. The, the study, and I take it tongue-in-cheek, but there's some re reality to it, 1% of what I have to say really influences you. Wow. And I was kind of stunned at that. <laughs> I said, wow. And then as times went on, in disbelief, the group said, no, no, no. I said, you're saying no because something has happened between you and me. And that is we've developed this therapeutic alliance where you really trust me. What I have to say has been, as you have reflected upon, truthful, beneficial. It's made change. And it's made, and you've come to believe in those thoughts and you've come to believe in us and me. And so I would say that if anything that we do, whether it be a parent or be, you know, a partner or a colleague or a doctor or coach or an athlete, we really need to develop that community of people that I believe in and who believe in me. That's really huge. Now, your second question is this focus. You know, when you and I were working together, one of the areas is can I be a top-notch, unbelievable medical professional and a world-class athlete, okay? Very few people can do that, 
I mean, I, I really believed in my heart you really pulled that off. Okay, that's so exceptional. What I tell people is that never, ever have more than three agendas in your life at any one time. Because what happens is your health begins to be compromised. You're not sleeping enough because we're driven, we're talented, we have all these abilities, but never have. So if you're going to have a career that you're passionate about and then you have this marriage and family life, you have a shot at perhaps becoming you know, um, a CrossFit kind of uh, talented person who's competing, or you have a shot at becoming a triathlete or other things that you want to do, or a great musician uh, or a writer. Uh, But to do anything more than that and to really take it to the next level, I say two things maximum. And so what that does is preserve your balance. It really does, is that you can maintain the balance in a holistic way, yet still pursue, and the time that's, that's really required, we talk 10,000 hours of practice to really become accomplished as a doc or as a musician or as a CrossFit you know, competitive athlete. Um, you really need that kind of time. And so one, two, good, three max. I like okay. that. So if you've already, you know, if you're already focusing on your family and your career, you know, maybe there's space to add something else, but maybe it's more of a hobby or something you enjoy and without putting so much of that pressure on yourself to be the very best at it. That's right. That's a good That's way right. to look about it. Um, I want to move in and talk a little bit more about high performers because you work with a lot of high performers in different um, aspects of careers and, I know that a lot of my listeners are high performers or they're people who are trying to juggle, you know, success in family and work and multiple other things. So you end up working with a lot of high performers who are achieving amazing things in their careers, but then for one reason or another are struggling or have some, as you mentioned earlier, some disability in some area of their life. Um, And I've had in the past, I've spoken with um, former Olympians other high-level athletes on the podcast, and we always talk about this sort of this post-career or post-Olympic depression or um, kind of coming down from achieving something really great and then figuring out what to do next in your life and that finding that new sense of direction or purpose. Um, so I was wondering if you talk a little bit more about that. What are some of the things that, that contribute to people having struggles, although they're high-performing in other areas of their life? Yeah, there's kind of two questions there. If we look at, you know, the the person who has achieved everything they ever wanted, what's now? What's next? And I say this to everybody who has had significant accomplishments. Uh, am I going to retire? And I tell people, uh, no, you're not. That's part of the problem. Um, I retire from, now I have to retire to. I need an idea how I'm going to take my talent and begin to really focus in on a brand new opportunity uh, that I have discovered prior to retiring. Now, I'll get a young man who had a season injury, you know, knee injury, for example, and there's questions whether he or she could come back, whether it's a gymnast or a tennis player or, you know, a baseball player or a football player. And in their mind's eye is I haven't had time to think about how I could translate. My working with any elite athlete is I always, as an agenda, say, what's next? After, after you accomplish this, which you will, I have absolute confidence. See, my yes brain as a coach Yes, you will do this, but when you're done with this, what are you going to be doing? I'm already planting the seed, and I want you to keep a list of these things. Well, I might want to do this. I might want to run a company. I might want to take this. I might want to take uh, and become a coach. I'm interested in going back to my college. Oh, okay, and I want to open up a gym. Okay, and okay. so there. And so what happens is if there's an unexpected injury or something happens that they can't continue, or they've accomplished and arrived at significantly everything that they wanted to do as an Olympian or as a you know, world-class athlete in, in one of the major you know, kind of NFL, NBA kind of arenas. Now what? What am I going to do? It's not a surprise. And part of, the, part of the problem with a lot of people is they finish 
and it happens a lot quicker than they ever anticipated, and they have no idea. And that's where now all of a sudden there's this grief reaction, this sadness. It's not just because my, my life is over here. is that I didn't put together the next chapter of my life, which could be even more of a challenge and requires more of a champion than what you just accomplished. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting because for me, I always had a little bit of that sadness and struggle after a season was over and saying, you know, you know, we put so much effort in and now it's over and now what's next. But interestingly, and I think because of a lot of our work together, after my career ended sooner than I expected with an injury, I you know, I was obviously sad about the injury, but because I knew exactly what I was doing next and I was able to throw myself back into my medical training and we had talked about that, it was the easiest transition that I had, I think, of all of the, you know, seasons. And so I think that, you know, I certainly saw that to be true in my own experience. Absolutely. And here's where we take mindsight. A lot of my athletes will feel the sadness, the season's over, or my career is over and I've accomplished significant kinds of things. And they're responding with the no brain. It's come to an end. It's happened. I haven't accomplished. I wanted to do it longer. There's regrets. There's resentment. The right brain or what we call the smart or yes brain is saying, my sadness is coming out of I just love being with my fellow athletes. I love the smell of competition. I I just love the training program and the momentum that, you know, I was able to do the discipline that I had getting up to the games. And I really so love all that. I love that. And my sadness is one of deep gratitude, deep, you know, kind of really enjoyment. I'm really savoring what I just entered into, what I just accomplished. But we don't look at it that way. We don't go to gratitude. We don't go to the yes brain. We go to the reactive brain. Now what? You know, and I'm depressed. And so some of that's true. But the other part is the yes brain really allows me to uh, enjoy the ending in a way that I never imagined I could. I love it. That just reminded me of, um, you know, trying to switch switch those thought patterns of one of the exercises that we did that I still go back to a lot and I've told other people about it, which is the five hindrances, which you talk about a lot. And I think it, it really sheds a lot of light on the types of thoughts that we're having without even realizing it. Um, would you mind explaining how that exercise works? Well, it's, it's interesting. The the third eye or this mindset is beginning to realize and see, become awakened to how the no brain operates. And this mindset idea came out of Buddhist psychology. And the Buddhists believe that we had five hindrances in the mind, the no brain, that kept us from really living a life filled with freedom and joy instead of suffering. So when we had this, you know, one of the hindrances, this clinging, this being attached in a way that uh, was painful, I'm grabbing, I'm clinging, um, you know, just in a way that uh, it, it is painful to me. Um, or the worry brain, I'm worry, worry, worry. Or I'm angry and resentful, I'm holding somebody else in contempt. I'm really hostile towards maybe a fellow player or coach or something like that. Or another one is um, doubting, doubting, doubting. I doubt my skills. We're all plagued with all those because the no brain has been mastered for years it, from our parents. And our parents probably didn't have too much of a yes brain because their parents had no brains. And we're just learning and becoming aware of this. And as a result, you know, these hindrances are part of the mindfulness that I'm noticing. Oh, there's my worry brain. You know what? I learn how to not stay attached and cling, and I learn to let them go. And that's part of that mental agility is letting go. And now I can go back to the kind of confident athlete that I am instead of doubting if I can accomplish this. Because as a champion, I can ill afford these hindrances. I, I, I can't do that. And that's part of the mental training. What we work on is to identify we all have one that is our nemesis. You know, we can, I've eliminated four of these, but that worry or that <laughs> doubt is still there yeah. with me. And then we continue to work on that. But remember this, if you're taking 
time and you're just kind of reflecting a little bit and asking yourself, how was my thinking today? How was these four, five hindrances that we talk about? And I take a little review. The fact that you're noticing, you're becoming self-aware. And that is the beginning of what we call resilience training. Okay, so resilience training is a big part of this mindset, this yes brain that we use in the military, that we use with athletes, and we're using with kids uh, because we want them to have this adaptability to go from the no brain, which is the reaction and all these hindrances of the mind, to you know, the yes brain, the versatility, and to say, you know what, um, I have some doubts but I have a tremendous amount of confidence. I have some worry, but I have a lot of, you know, security in my life too. And I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that. So what am I doing? It's that triangle again. I'm balancing one with the other instead of just having the one. And it's that out of balance state that really dysregulates our mood, our body, our sleep, our interactions and connections with other people, and on and on and on. And I think for me, the way that I always visualize it is that you had said, basically, you realize you have awareness of this thought, you label it into one of those hindrances and say this, oh, this isn't, you know, a real thought. This is just me worrying. And then taking a deep breath, visualizing it, you know, letting it go. And I always visualize it like putting that thought into a balloon and then it floating up into the sky, which I think is something that you had given as an an idea. But I think that it's, it's something that has certainly served me well. And I still struggle with all of (laughs) all of them, but we are always working on it. Um, Another question about motivation. So I think this comes up a lot when you know, you have people who know, you know, I know that it's good for me to go to the gym and get my exercise, but I really don't want to. <laughs> How do you help people um, kind of integrate these healthy habits into part of who they are, part of their daily routine um, and overcome those th- negative thoughts about, oh, I'm, not, I'm too tired, I'm, you know, too busy, etc.? Motivation is an interesting thing, and part of what we do is motivation enhancement, uh, interviewing with our our clients, our patients, and our athletes. I'll tell you a little story about a grandson, one of my grandsons. Mm. He says, Grandpa, I'm not really an athlete. (laughs) And and so what that self-talk says is that my body isn't such that I want to play football and things like that, but it could relate that I don't have the prowess, I don't have the get-up-and-go, I don't have the body to be an athlete. So there's all sorts of different things. And, and you think that kind of self-talk is going to motivate him into going to the gym or doing this or that. Okay. So he, he uh, entered high school this year, and he has a passion for drama, uh, music. He's a violinist, uh, acting. Uh, he's done a lot of very interesting things in terms of uh, uh, computerized movies. Wow. And he's really, really talented. Mm-hmm. And so... One of the production teachers learned about his background with the camera. He says, we need you this year. And he said, okay, we need you to take one of these large cameras, movie cameras that weighs about 30 pounds with a big, huge protective cover against the rain, and we need you to film the football games. <laughs> so he goes out. He has his 30-pound camera, and he has two bodyguards because everybody wants to be on film, and there's a very expensive camera, $30,000 or so. And he's running up and down (laughs) the field. And he comes to me and says, Grandpa, I never thought I was an athlete, but after carrying 30 pounds (laughs) of camera, I was able to do that, and I'm running more than the football players themselves. I'm in pretty good shape, and I I guess I'm somewhat of an athlete. (laughs) So do you see how the mindset changed? He had a passion for doing this photography that forced his body to do something that he never thought he could because he talked himself out of it. So motivation begins with what am I telling myself? And oftentimes, if we're not really believing in something, we're not going to do it. He didn't believe that he wanted to play football, but he believed in produ- producing some quality kind of movie. He believes in, in, in that. That's what made him do that. So if we believe it, we'll do it. So I really work at 
before we go to the gym, do you really believe you need to do that? And if you don't, there's no sense there's talking no, yeah. about it. I can take you every day and you'll stop going when I stop taking you. But we really go into beliefs. And what do you believe you would do? Is it CrossFit or is it a rowing machine or is it swimming? What is it that you believe you'll do? And you believe this is important to your health and overall mental health and quality of your life. Oh, and so I really focus in on belief because without believing, there's very little motivation, very little motivation. I love it. So kind of going in that deeper layer about why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, why is that important for you and why do you want to do it? And it has to be important to you. It mm-hmm. can't just because it's important to me doesn't mean it's going to be important to you. Right. I need to find out if I'm coaching you what really motivates you. Okay. The other thing, and this is really good, and this is for all the 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 the, the real elite group of the people who are already motivated. We know in our studies that why champions are few and far between is because people, even with a belief and even with the desire and the motivation and the discipline to move from good to great, it's very tough to stay motivated because when we have a discipline, whether it's CrossFit or whatever it may be, we get into a discipline of eating, sleeping, stretching, resting, exercising, that becomes kind of boring. Repetitive. Repetitive. And it loses its emotional juice. So the true champion has this incredible creativity and imagination to keep them peaked in their emotional you know, excitement about what they're doing. So I was in the gym the other day, and I was on my treadmill, and I, I, I like rowing, so I was on the rowing machine. This one young man came in, and in, a, in about 10, 15 minutes, I saw him do things with his body <laughs> I never thought anybody could do, and he didn't stop. Mm-hmm. He was stretching and lifting and doing body lifts, and, you know, and, and half of them, I'm trying some of them out because I really liked them. <laughs> but this young man, his creativity, he says, I just go to the gym and watch other people. What he's doing is keeping things really, really exciting in order to stay peaked in his motivation. That's what I've always enjoyed about CrossFit. Yeah. You, it's, uh, you don't know what's going to show up in the gym. One day it's this and the other day is that. It's constantly keeping you motivated. And I would say that about anybody. If you're writing a book, if you're exercising, if you're attempting to eat better, you know, the discipline, have the fundamentals down, but keep it interesting. Be creative. Be really imaginative what we do. So if you can imagine this kind of excitement, you can do it. You really can do it. Love it. Well, as we start to wrap up, I have one more question for you and then three questions that I ask everyone at the end of the podcast. Um, But we kind of talked about at the beginning about how when we go to medical school, we don't ever take a course how to build a healthy human. And I don't know if you ever took a course about how to build a mentally resilient human, but if you had to write that course, what would it look like? How do you, if you could start from scratch, how would you build a mentally strong and resilient human? I would begin, I would begin with promoting self-awareness, which requires some time with yourself to review what's going on within you, not the world around you, but within you. This is cultivating this mindset. As you do that, I would then promote ways of how I could regulate um, hindrances of the mind, uh, mood changes, really realizing that feelings are just feeling tones in the body that you put a a story to it. What I mean by that is I wake up and I have this agita in the stomach and people say, well, I I guess I'm feeling nervous. Uh, That's one story and then I can tell a story about that. But I could say that I had this big bowl of pasta last (laughs) night and I went back for seconds and the agita (laughs) is a little, you know, tummy unrest here. That's another story. Very different story. And this gets back into, am I willing to be... um, humble enough to say that the story I might be saying may be erroneous or wrong. And resilience is this mental agility, this ability to be flexible about what my self-talk is. Um, The next is 
I would really promote, and what all this is promoting in resilience is character. Okay, I was talking to a father whose young man did something, and he looked at his, his, his dad and said, Dad, I know you love me, but I don't know if you're going to trust me because I made this mistake. And what was really exciting, yes, for me as a parent, is that he had this depth as a 16-year-old to say, I disappointed you, and I don't know if you're going to trust me because trustworthiness is part of his character. So I'd bring it back. Yeah, and when you do go left or right, sometimes your credibility then is is compromised. And how do you bring that back? But the fact that you're feeling and noticing that tells me you have character. So that next step is character, and then that builds connection. See, he, him and his father had this intimate moment where they could really connect with my vulnerability. You're right. I go left to center all day long. I, am I hindrances the mind? Because I, I, I practice this day in and day out doesn't mean I'm not human. And I go left, and do I want to go to the gym every day? No, I don't want to go to the gym every day. But I notice that, and I bring myself back, and then I apply this adaptive kind of behavior. The last thing is that if you have awareness, and you have this ability to regulate you know, mood states and thinking, you have this mental agility, and then you have this ability to cultivate character, um, and, and then connect deeply, you really have this life filled with this positive optimism, hopefulness, that's incredible. It's really incredible. That, in a nutshell, is resilience. I would want everybody to have that kind of intelligence in their life and apply to every aspect of their life, whether it be health or eating or sleeping or relationships or career or being an elite athlete or you know being a, a cameraman you know, at a high school game. Uh, it, it doesn't really matter. It, it, they, the resilience is what's going to give you that freedom, that real joy in life, that fulfillment that we're all looking for. Mm-hmm. It's something that I've definitely noticed now that I'm in residency. And whenever I see a, an older patient who's maybe in their 90s, I always try to pay extra attention or ask them about what their secrets are. And often that's the the most prominent thing that I pick up is that mental resilience and that you know, no matter what they've been through in their lives, this positive outlook, which mm. I think is really remarkable. So three questions I ask everyone. The first is three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health. I would say really being careful and really being thoughtful, and others would say a little obsessive about what I eat. I'm very, okay. I'm very committed to a plant-based diet, and um, it is, has been probably the one experience physically that has transformed me in ways that I never could imagine. So a lot of us don't know what we don't know until we take the leap into it. So, and a lot of people say, Doc, how can you do that? You give up this, this, that. I said, it's just food. Uh, but, you know, that's probably one thing. I would say another thing that I do is really a daily review. I, I do every day, I review my professional kind of challenges, things that went well, things that didn't. But I'm reviewing my mindset. How was my relationships? Did I add to the quality of other people's lives? Did I fall short of that? Was I kind of self-centered today? Uh, Was I a little irritable? What was going on with me? And how might I do one thing tomorrow to be the champion that I want to be in all my affairs? And so that daily review has come to be probably one of the highlights of my day, not only in terms of my physical well-being, but my mental. And those are really tied in, you know, in, in a wonderful way. And that. then exercise. I, I would say, you know, I, I, I love exercise, whatever it may be. I got a yoga mat here. I'll do sit-ups and push-ups. <laughs> and I'll do whatever I can do, jumping jacks yeah. in between patients and then going to the gym when I, when I can get there. And, That's amazing. Yeah. Um, with that daily review, how do you structure that? Do you do that before you leave work? Is that something you do right before you go to bed? Do you think okay. there's an optimal time for it? Uh, I, I've trained myself that first thing, I'm already thinking about it. I'm already thinking about it first thing. And then I, I have some inspirational readings that I do first thing. Okay. And then I try to cultivate a mantra for the day, you know, 
and I carry that mantra in, in, in my day in order to up my game and to make sure that I'm kind of aligned with that. And then I usually, before I click off my computer at the office, I'll take 10 or 15 minutes and do a review of my day. Some things I write down, I have a calendar and I write it down, I'm keeping track of it, um, I'm looking at some things. There might be something that uh, has kind of confounded me. I go to somebody that I that are my people that I know will help me see it or deconstruct it in a way that gives me an aha moment. And so I don't believe I can change without getting on the, the shoulders of somebody who is seen better than I am or can see in ways that I haven't. So having that mentor, having the people in your life with great respect, they can be in books, they can be in podcasts, things like that. But re real people, having people, and one of those persons is my wife. She is a brilliant woman who has advised me and see things that I, I never imagined I could see, and she's helped me to have that vision. So um, I would say having that kind of partner in your life is, is, is really a gift. It's really a gift. Amazing. Next question is one thing that you struggle with or something that you think would have a big impact on your health, but you have a hard time implementing it right now. Um, stretching. Mm. Uh, I've, <laughs> Even I've, with the yoga mat. <laughs> yeah, I, I will work out. I will do uh, a lot of what I need to do aerobic-wise, um, but getting to the point of the stretching of taking the time to do that. Uh, I've, I've really said I'm going to start this yoga class. I'm going to do I've gotten on uh, YouTube and done yoga with that. But it's just time is probably, but it gets back to believing right. and not knowing what I don't know. And I'm getting close. I'm yeah. really getting close. Working but, on it. <laughs> but I would say that uh, that would be the biggest thing right now. Last question is, what does a healthy life look like to you? For me, is having a, a profound sense of community in my life. People that I love and who I cherish and who I support. And um, if I can be blessed to do that at the office and at home, um, it doesn't get any better than that. So there's, a, there's this old saying, it's a Buddhist saying, I don't know where my work ends and my play begins, my play ends, my work begins. And so long as I have a sense of community where there's mutual respect and regard, we're supporting one another, I would say that is the essence of a healthy life for me. And then all the other things I do, I want to champion in order that I can show up and do my best at, at those, you know, with my people, you know, the people that, you know, show up in my life, whether it be my patients or colleagues uh, or family or friends or neighbors. Uh, that's, that's really the essence of a, of a good life for me. I love it. Perfect note to end on. Well, thank you so much. Um, I know you've helped me a lot personally in our work together. And thank you for sharing all of your insights and your experience with our listeners today. And it's also amazing to hear about how you really do practice what you preach and you put yeah. this into action. And so it's very inspiring. And thank you again for, for sitting down with me. Well, thank you so much. Tell your listeners too, <laughs> I'm watching them. Watching that Promote third eye. Promote that third eye. <laughs> Develop that mindset. All right. No doubt about it. We will work on it. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Janice. <laughs> Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into this episode. Dr. Janice and I would love to hear from you about your own favorite strategies for building a champion mindset. Let us know what works best for you and we can continue this conversation over on social media with hashtag pursuing health. If you tuned into my last episode, you know that I've been on a search for the perfect coffee creamer and I got my order from Thrive Market and have been enjoying trying out several different options over the past couple of weeks. Have you heard of Thrive Market yet? They sell top organic and healthy products online at 25 to 50% off shipped straight to your door. As a sponsor of this episode of the podcast, they're providing an amazing offer to all my Pursuing Health listeners. So you can go to www.thrivemarket.com forward slash PH and there you'll receive an additional 25% off your first purchase plus free shipping and a free 30-day trial. So my husband and I have been using 
Thrive Market for years. It's helped us to maximize our efficiency with grocery shopping and meal prep in the midst of our very busy schedules from competing and training in the CrossFit Games years ago to now balancing our busy schedules with residency. Using Thrive Market, we can shop for all of our staple grocery items and ingredients from a curated list of products that we know and we can trust. Whether you're looking for paleo, vegan, gluten-free, non-GMO, or organic products, you can find them on the Thrive Market platform at prices 25 to 50% below retail, as I mentioned. Even better, these items are shipped straight to your doorstep, so you don't have to worry about the time or hassle of grocery shopping, which I love. I also love that Thrive Market demonstrates a huge commitment to giving back. So for everyone who signs up for a Thrive Market membership, another membership is donated to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher. Thrive Market's mission is to make healthy living easy and approachable to everyone, and this aligns perfectly with my own personal mission and that of pursuing health. Because it has been such a lifesaver in my own life, I wanted to share the benefits of Thrive Market with all of you, and they've responded with an amazing offer. So again, head to www.thrivemarket.com forward slash PH to take advantage of 25% off your first purchase, plus free shipping and a free 30-day trial. Again, this is on top of their already 25 to 50% below retail prices. So I hope you can take advantage of this amazing offer and enjoy their service as much as I have. Once again, head to thrivemarket.com forward slash PH to save on some of your favorite items for healthy living and help make a healthy lifestyle easy, affordable, and accessible for all. This episode is brought to you by ButcherBox. ButcherBox delivers 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, and heritage-breed pork directly to your doorstep. Now, I think meat can have a place in a well-rounded diet, but there is a huge, huge difference when it comes to animals raised in feedlots that are fed primarily corn and soy and routinely given growth hormones and antibiotics, and those that are responsibly raised, fed their natural diet, and never given growth hormones or antibiotics. ButcherBox gives me some peace of mind, knowing that I can trust my meat is the highest quality out there and that it will taste amazing. They allow you to order curated or custom boxes of meat, and they always come with recipe ideas for you to explore. My husband, Danny, and I are super excited about firing up our backyard grill this summer to enjoy our ButcherBox selections with tons of vegetables from our local CSA. And you can join us. ButcherBox is extending an awesome offer to you for listening to Pursuing Health. Just head to butcherbox.com forward slash Julie for $20 off your order plus a free order of their delicious bacon. Again, that's butcherbox.com forward slash Julie. Hope you can check it out and that it makes your life a little bit easier just as it has done for us. 